Good morning, everyone. My name is Nayaswami Diksha, and this is Nayaswami Gandev. And we'd like to welcome all of you, especially the guests from the Expanding Light, the meditation retreat, and those who are joining us online. I also would like to thank the choir for the beautiful Christmas concert last night. It was very uplifting and inspiring. What a wonderful way to usher all of us into this holy season. Thank you very much. I'll begin by reading from Rays of the One Light, weekly commentaries on the Bible and the Bhagavad Gita by Swami Kriyananda. The topic of this week is what was the star of Bethlehem? Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. Divine vision is the opposite of worldly sight. Divine vision sees God's presence behind all outward appearances. Worldly sight sees appearances merely coding even the blazing wisdom of a saint. A master to a worldly man is a human being with perhaps a slightly better attitude than the norm. The scriptures, therefore, strive to demonstrate how the divine consciousness, when openly active among men in the lives of great masters, must never be viewed as an expression of ordinary human consciousness. To seek the presence of divinity behind the life of a great master is to prepare oneself to recognize that same divinity also in lower manifestations until at last one beholds God everywhere. This is what the, that, uh, thus it was that Paramahansa Yogananda on observing his new disciple Swami Kriyananda struggling with the contrast between the Guru's human appearance and his inner divine reality, looked at him deeply one day and said, If you only knew my consciousness. The story of the birth of Jesus Christ contains an account in the Gospel of St. Matthew, chapter 2 of the star of Bethlehem. The wise man who saw Jesus in his manger said, We have seen his star in the east, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. This account was important 
for it showed all mankind that Jesus was a divine incarnation and no ordinary man that the brought divine consciousness to earth that he brought divine consciousness to earth even though he would play a human role among human beings and that others too by receiving him in their inner hearts would acquire power as the Bible puts it to become sons of God the scriptures enjoin us to meditate on the lives of great souls that we may discover our own latent spiritual greatness as the Bhagavad Gita puts it in the fourth chapter who knows the truth touching my birth on earth and my divine work when he quits the flesh puts on its load no more falls no more down to earthly birth to me he comes dear prince thus through holy scripture God has spoken to mankind like to welcome you all and I too would like to thank our musicians for last night and all through the rest of the evening I was just thinking to mind over and over that that Ave Maria song which is so so haunting and I was actually a little reluctant to go to sleep not being an incredibly musical person afraid that I would forget it by the morning <laughs> but I didn't I remembered then, and I remember now. And if the offering is large enough, I will not sing it to you solo. <laughs> so, I would like to read from Whispers from Eternity, a book of prayer, poems, prayer demands by Paramount This one is called The Rocket of My Love. I withdrew the life force from my body. The breath which had kept me tied to the burden of flesh no longer shook my awareness. My rocket of life penetrated through the star in the all-seeing eye of light in my forehead. The rocket soared outward, its cone of focused concentration and deep feeling exploded to oneness with the countless atoms of space and with the little points of self-awareness in all beings. At last, like an expanding cloud nebula, I embraced the vast spirit beyond space itself to enter the heart of thine omnipresent silence.
So, what was the star of Bethlehem? I grew up in rural Minnesota where such questions don't get asked a lot. <laughs> um, and there are probably many different reasons for that, but in Minnesota you just sort of take things as they are. Whether it's 30 below zero or you know, 100 degrees with high humidity, or you just take things as they are. You don't ask too many questions. In fact, uh, not too many questions even come to mind on some, on some of these topics. It's just not, doesn't seem that relevant. But it's not that you never think about these things. You, you know, think about the star of Bethlehem and, and that star you know, being stationary over a stable. And you know darn well that stars aren't stationary over any one structure, but you figure that this is just one of those divine miracles and you don't have to think too much about it and you just let it pass. And then there's the wise men. Now, the wise men, we don't know exactly where they're from, but they're definitely off to the east somewhere. Maybe they're in modern day Jordan or maybe they're all the way in India or who knows where, but they're off to the east somewhere. And you can't help but notice that if you've ever seen a map, Bethlehem is west of there. And so you see the star in the east, they're going to lead you to the west. That doesn't work so well either. Of course, there's always the option of going the other way around the planet. Um, but that's really a long, hard, and very wet trip by camel. So you better not to bother your little mind about these things. And then there's this word Christ. Jesus Christ, which is not his last name, certainly. And it's sort of, of course, it means the anointed one. And you sort of hear that explanation and you think, guess that's the end of the questions. Um, but it doesn't, don't know exactly what that means, but uh, okay, you got an answer, so you're, you're settled with that. And you never even approach the explanation that Paramahansa Yogananda gave, that, that it's the Christ consciousness, and that Jesus was called the Christ because he had attained that state of consciousness, a consciousness of oneness, with the creator's consciousness within all creation. People wouldn't understand that. The ministers wouldn't understand that. Um, these esoteric elements, which are there aplenty in the Bible and in every scripture, don't always get brought out in a way that's not just explains things, but it's actually helpful to our spiritual life. I was, I was thinking, as I, as I was thinking about the, the term Christ, I thought of the original proposed title of Autobiography of a Yogi, which was not Autobiography of a Yogi, it was Yogi Christs of Modern India. And I've always been glad that Paramahansa Yogananda got talked out of that one. I don't think it would have landed very well in this country in the 1940s or even today really. 
that Yogananda didn't, was not one to pull back from asking questions. In fact, he very, very strongly encouraged the devotee. You must ask questions. You must try to understand why things are the way they are, even on the outward level. One of my favorite uh, articles, a transcription of a talk he gave, is, is looking at the world through seeing eyes. Just not taking everything for granted, but really diving in. He said, here's a good one. He said, why two sets of teeth? <laughs> right? Why not just one? Or if there's two, why not three? Why not five? He said, look at the world with seeing eyes. <laughs> and so he said, constantly question. He said, don't take my word for anything I say. He said, you must test the teachings. You must prove them in your own life. And recently, I was, uh, I happened to see a presentation by a woman who spent five years uh, interviewing 200 of the most financially successful entrepreneurs in the, in the world in, in recent years very, very recent years. And she was a sociologist primarily, not an entrepreneur herself, but she used these sophisticated sociological techniques to boil down the results of these interviews into what she characterizes as the, the six essential skills of the successful entrepreneur. And... Uh, I won't go through that. It would, it would be a great class sometime to go through those because they're very interesting and they're also spiritually applicable as well. But I just wanted to mention one of them. And that's that successful entrepreneurs are very curious. When they see things that don't fit, they stop and they explore it. When they see see a picture when something's in that picture and it shouldn't be there, they stop and explore it. Or when something's missing, something should be in that picture and isn't, they say, stop and they say, why is that? Uh, one of the stories she told was uh, interesting one is about Elon Musk, who's the founder of SpaceX and PayPal and, and Tesla and the Solar City and all these incredible, that's a real entrepreneur. And uh, one of his dreams has always been about space travel. And in particular, he's very keen that humanity should colonize the planet Mars. And he's uh, really, he's a physicist by background, he's not a dreamer. And he looked at that question and he thought, you know, space travel is really, really hard. Technically very difficult and really, really expensive. How could this be done? How can we even think about these things? And as he thought about it and he looked at the picture, current picture of space travel, he noticed something that seemed to him very odd and that's that people, or in this case governments, throw away their rockets when they're done with them. 
There's no reusing. There's no recycling. They just throw away their rockets. And you thought, why? Why do people do that? You don't fly from San Francisco to Sacramento and throw away your airplane. You know, why do people throw away their rockets? And as he thought about it and put his physicist mind to it along with his engineers, he realized it doesn't have to be that way. And in fact, together, they invented the reusable rocket, a rocket that descends to Earth on a sheet of flame, you know, just like in the old science fiction movies, <laughs> now, which seems so cheesy now because we're all used to anti-gravity and other sorts of things that where well, you don't make a mess when you land. <laughs> but that's what their rocket does. It comes down on that sheet of flame and they can use it again. It looks at situations that there's something wrong with this picture. There's something not even necessarily wrong. There's something different about this picture that I need to take notice of. And that's what a lot of these successful entrepreneurs do. There's another one. I didn't know this, but did you know that the origin of YouTube, it was a dating site. It was a dating site when people made videos of themselves. <laughs> and uh, so this was going on for a little while, and the, the founders of you, one of the founders of YouTube put a different video on. It was just this funny video of himself with an elephant. And they noticed that everybody who was coming to the site was watching the elephant video. <laughs> they weren't really doing the dating videos so much. Now, what many people would do is say, this doesn't fit with what we're doing. Right? This doesn't fit what we're doing. Let's get rid of that elephant video and get down to business because our business plan says something else. But they didn't do that. They took the rather common sense approach of, I think this is what people want. And... Voila, we have YouTube in its current form with a zillion cat videos. <laughs> or, or, or the founders of, of PayPal, which was not originally what it is today. They had a, different, a very, very different business plan, but at one point they noticed that the users of eBay were using PayPal to pay for their products. And they hadn't intended that. They didn't want that to happen to their PayPal service. But instead of simply preventing the users of eBay from doing that, they realized, maybe we have the wrong business plan. Yeah, and so this is, this is the sort of thing you see happening over and over with successful people. The ability to, to not be overcommitted to directions that they've already been taking for a while. You know, you put some energy into something, you put a lot of energy into something, and you get really committed to it, and you don't want to see anything that, that uh, mitigates against that. And you see this as scientists who don't want their pet theories contradicted by evidence. Right? <laughs> you see this with historians, you see it with art experts, lots of people do this, including devotees, who don't see something that is just staring them in the face. 
that could be very, very helpful. Whether it's something that they need to stop doing or something they need to start doing or something they need to pay attention to. And this is what the, the, the Gita is talking about in that reading today. Is it's, it's saying, pay attention to the big things on your spiritual horizon and there's nothing bigger. Nothing bigger than an avatar. There's nothing bigger than a, than a great master, someone who has really achieved that which we're all seeking to achieve. And the Gita says, tune into that. Tune into them. And really try to get a sense of what it is that made them so spiritually successful. Try to tune into it and and draw on that power. And this is a great time of year to do that. You know, we're we're not only reminded, look, coming up, we have a space of 11 days that cover the birth of two great avatars, you know, Jesus and Yogananda, Yogananda in early January. And at a time when you kind of approach the birth of someone, there's kind of a, a natural inclination to, to clear away all the other stuff of their life, all the things they did, their great world mission, their teachings, their techniques, their disciples, just clear all that away. And, and it's a beautiful time to just focus on the pure consciousness that they came in with. Can you imagine being in that stable in Bethlehem and just looking into the eyes of that baby? You know, where there hasn't been any world mission or teaching or techniques or disciples or difficulties or, or, or successes or anything. There's just that pure consciousness of that liberated being that has come down once again, who knows for the how manyth time, to help the rest of us to take one or two or ten steps toward being out of it ourselves. Think of the, what a blessing that would be. And not just that baby, but three wise men. Not just three wise men, not just three wise kings, but Paramahansa Yogananda said these wise men were Babaji, Lahiri Mahashaya, and Sri Yukteswar. And not even just them. Think of Joseph and Mary. These cannot be ordinary people. Ordinary people are not going to be the parents of an avatar. That's not going to happen. I was reading last night uh, uh, Swami Kriyananda description of a time that that Yogananda described to him a vision that he, Yogananda, had had of the Divine Mother that the Divine Mother had said to Yoga, Yogananda that uh, I had suckled thee through the breasts of many women, but this time she who suckled thee was I myself. Mm. You know, what kind of a woman must Yogananda's mother have been? What kind of a great soul? What kind of a great soul must Mary 
the mother of Jesus, had been also. So all these great, great souls clustered in this very small stable, which is probably even smaller than this dais up here. Think of the vibration of being there at that time. It, was, it must have been just so utterly overpowering and uplifting. I remember the first time I went to India and I had a, the opportunity to meditate in a room in the, in the home of, of Yogananda's boyhood friend, Tulsi Bhosh, uh, where not only Yogananda and Tulsi Bhosh had meditated, but Sri Yukteswar had meditated there, Swami Kebalananda, uh, Yogananda's Sanskrit tutor, who, who had spent time with Babaji in the Himalayas, and who else had meditated there. And I just remember just being unable to move. Craig, I just feel that something so very, very great and powerful had happened in that space. And it had been more than 50 years since I had been here. So think of what it must have been like in that stable in Bethlehem. So powerful. And we have coming up this weekend, this Saturday, our all-day meditation. Eight hours. Well, you can try this during that meditation. Imagine having been there. Imagine being in that stable when all those great souls were there and meditate in that vibration. See if you can feel it. And if you can't feel it, imagine how it would have felt if you were there. And I guarantee that if you can just keep your mind on that, and more important, keep your heart on that, you will feel something that will be very, very powerful, very, very uplifting. And the beautiful thing about it is you don't feel that unless you already have it. And Swami Kriyananda, who spent a lot of time with the great saint Ananda Moima, uh, once just was overcome with sort of her, her wonderfulness. And he, he said to her, Mother, you are so good. And what did she say to him? She said, it takes goodness to see goodness. We're not going to see anything that isn't already inside of us. And what the great masters come to do is to give us a little shake. Sometimes give us a big shake to see that it's not just in them. That it's in us. And that's their whole job. Is to awaken us to the fact that it is within us already, that it always has been, always will be within us. That's what they do. And concentrating on their lives, concentrating on their, their vibration, much more important than the events of their lives. Oh, the events can help us tune into the vibration, but look beneath all that outward stuff and to feel that 
awakening in ourselves. If we can just dive deep into that, into that vibration, then we'll know what the Star of Bethlehem was. Because we'll see it. We'll see the Eastern Star. We'll see the, the spiritual eye in the forehead like usually resides right up there above the altar but it's taking a break to be over the stable in Bethlehem uh, <laughs> just now <laughs> but if we dive you know, deeper even deeper into that inherent goodness wonderfulness inside of us we will be the wise man or the wise woman and if we dive even deeper still in it and we'll touch that Christ consciousness, that ever blissful, ever motionless consciousness of the Creator that pervades all of creation. We'll feel it and we'll know that it's not out there. It's in here. And that will be a very happy Christmas. Mm-hmm.